And this is Dan. Together we pastor Hope Culture Church in Elgin, Illinois. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. We are glad you're here, whether you're watching online, in the room, whether you're still making your way from trying to find a parking spot. I know it's crowded out there this morning. Uh, We're excited. We're wrapping up our series, Soul Detox. And as Abigail mentioned, it's a little bit of a different morning this morning in the way that we've even structured service. We're going to mix some songs throughout, and I'm going to speak in kind of two different parts, um, because this morning we're talking about praise and worship. And I thought it would be fitting for us to instantly implement the things that we're talking about. So you might notice, hey, we're only 10 minutes in the service. You're already up there. It's because we want to save some of the, the expression through music towards the end. Um, I just feel like I want to pray one more time. God, just would you speak to us through your word, by your spirit? Would you have your way this morning? Would we be open to receive whatever you have for us? We feel that this is how you've led us as a a church this morning to to focus on praise and worship, and we trust you, God, as you speak and minister to us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I like case studies, and I found out about this book of case studies through another book that Chip Ingram wrote, and he references this book written by a Yale professor um, called Risk, Reward, and the Decision-Making Process. Um, and really this book is a collection of stories and case studies that's used at Harvard and MIT where they look at these different scenarios and situations and then discuss what they would do, how they would make a decision based on what's happening. So I wanted to share a couple briefly in my own words. The first one is this guy named John. He's 32 years old. He is an engineer, and he is into antiques. He likes going to estate sales, looking for things of value, looking for um, things that he could buy and resell for more, that sort of thing. Well, one weekend he went and he went to a, uh, an estate sale that was all together. It was lumped in. It was the house and everything in it. You could bid, and that's what you would get if you won. Well, he's looking through it, and he's kind of saying the house isn't in great shape. You know, it's probably from the Civil War area. There's some problems with it. There's some other things in here that maybe are of value. And he gets to this desk, and he finds a drawer. And in the drawer, there's a secret compartment, you know, kind of like the cool stuff from the movies. In there, he finds a bag of gold coins that are pure gold from the Civil War. And he's like, these have to be worth so much money. He's quickly doing some research, and he goes online to kind of figure out how much is the stuff in this house worth, how much is the house worth, how much should I bid for this estate, because if this is true, if these are what I think they are, they're going to be worth millions of dollars. And he had done this research, and he's like, I think I could win this bid for about $95,000. And so in his mind, he's like, this is the risk, this is the reward, this is, the, this is what I have to decide. Am I going to go all in and sell my stuff so I can buy this estate? with these coins that are potentially worth millions or not. That's one of the case studies. They're supposed to discuss it. What would you do based on that information? The second one, and to give a little more context to that one, he has about $10,000 in a saving account. So he'd have to sell like everything in order to, to buy it. Sheila, she's an art professor at a community college in the Midwest. She's vacationing for the summer in Europe. She's really into art. She sees that there is a Picasso that to her looks like an original. 
But the people auctioning it off are like, no, it's not original. If you notice that his signature is not his normal Picasso signature, but she pulls out her little thing and is studying it. And as an art professor, she remembers what she's learned that in his first few years, Picasso didn't do his normal Picasso signature. He kind of scribbled on some initials, and that's what this looked like. So same thing for her. She has only $1,900 in her account, but she's like, but if I sell everything, I could probably buy this painting for $25,000, and I think it's an original. I think it's going to be worth millions. Same thing, both of them, case study. Are they going to sacrifice what they have for the potential of so much more? I think it's actually really similar to a story that Jesus shares. Matthew 13, he says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. This guy that Jesus makes up, these other two stories are true stories. This, this story is a story that Jesus is saying, hey, there's a guy, he finds something of great value, it brings him a ton of joy, and he rehides it in the field, and then he sells everything he has to go buy the field. Because what he found is worth so much more than what he currently has. And in Hebrew, and in, in this culture, and Jesus, he'd be teaching in Greek, but in the Jewish culture, to reiterate a point, you'd share it again in a second way. So verse 45, he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So Jesus is saying, hey, the kingdom of God is like this. It's like you finding something of great value, of so much value, that you give up everything else to get that thing. Going back to those two stories I shared, John, the engineer, ends up selling everything he has, buying the coins, and they're worth about $10 million. Sheila does the same thing, sells everything she has. She sells her car, buys the painting. It is verified as an original, worth about $32 million. And I think sometimes we think of the kingdom of God and we think of the sacrifice and count the cost and how we have to give up everything. And we, we can focus on that too much sometimes. There is discipline. We've been talking the whole series about spiritual disciplines and how we need to pursue God and give up some things in our life and pursue him above everything else. But I want to remind us in this moment that Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this. It's finding something of so much more value that you're willing to give up all the other stuff. And yes, there is sacrifice and there is giving up involved, but I doubt that any of us feel that sorry for John or Sheila. Oh, I'm so sorry you had to sell your Jetta. Now you have $32 million. The kingdom of God is like that. What we are gaining is of so much more value than what we're choosing to give up. It's just sometimes hard to realize that in the day in and day out. But as I was reflecting on that and thinking, what does this have to do with worship? I think that is a picture of worship. Saying, God, I am giving you everything because of what you're offering me. I am willingly giving up all of these things because I think what happens is sometimes we come to Christ and we're like, hey, I see that. Jesus died for my sins. He paid the price that I deserve. I have right relationship with God now. That's awesome. That's a great deal. But God, can I still keep these couple areas of my life? Maybe for you it's your finances. Maybe for you it's a relationship or a habit, a certain hobby that you're unwilling to let God infiltrate. Whatever it might be, there's something in our life that we're saying, God, you can have it except this or this and that. I'm going to hold on to those couple things. 
But I think that's what commitment to God looks like. It's trading it all, saying, God, it's all yours. That's what worship looks like. It's when we see the value of what we're gaining is so much greater than what we're losing. It's so much greater than what we're giving up. The, the offer of eternal life is not just future, but now. That his spirit comes and lives inside of us and changes us from the inside out. And that's, that's a picture of worship, offering all we are and all we have because of who he is. Worship is offering all of ourselves back to him because we see him for who he is and what he's done. I think sometimes we think about worship and we think of just the music. We think of it as a genre of music. Like, yeah, I have my, my workout playlist and I have my worship playlist. I have my driving in the car playlist. We have our different things. It's more than a genre of music. It's more than just music itself. Worship is expressing to God the value he has. It's so much more than just the music. In fact, Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, I urge you, he's kind of pleading with them, like, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, do you see that same imagery? Seeing God for who he is, seeing the mercy and grace he's given us, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I think sometimes we like to boil worship down just to one thing or, or what we do on Sunday mornings or, or music or whatever it might be. But worship, as Paul defines it in Scripture, is all of us. It's our whole life. It's offering our body and all that we have as a, a sacrifice to God saying, here I am. But we're not doing it just, just out of like martyrdom and God, I'll, I'll give you myself it's in view of God's mercy. It's remembering the exchange that is taking place. It's remembering the value of what he's done on the cross and the grace and mercy and love he freely offers, the down payment of his Holy Spirit. It's remembering what he's giving us and saying, God, in view of that, I gladly give you everything. I give you my life. Paul's saying that's true and proper worship. If I had to boil the definition of worship down even farther, I mean, it's hard. There's lots of different definitions. Some of them take books or paragraphs, sentences. If I had to make it a little bit more concise for us, I would just say that it is the expression of our love for God. It's the expression of our love for God. That, that goes so much bigger than just music. Music is an outflow of that. Singing is an outflow of that. But so is giving and serving. So is the way we parent. So is the way we work our job. In fact, Paul, in a different letter to a different church, he says, whatever you're doing, whether you're eating or drinking, whatever you're going about, do it all for the glory of God. He's like, you can actually worship while you do anything. If you're doing it as an expression of love for him, if you're doing it with him in mind, if you're saying, God, I'm loving this person the way you love them, the way that you call me to love them, I'm going to do this, I'm going to give sacrificially, I'm going to serve, I'm going to support, I'm going to pray for my small group, I'm going to do these things, God, out of an act of worship for you. And not losing sight of it and be like, look how much I'm sacrificing, but in keeping the sight on what he's already given us. God, in view of your mercy, in view of sending your sinless son to die for me, 
in view of the new life and the promise of eternity I've given, in view of, of how great you are, when I found this pearl of great price, when I found this thing hidden in the field, God, I gladly give you everything in exchange for that. That's a picture of worship. To continue on in Romans 12, it says, um, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and perfect, pleasing will. That there's this idea that worship is an expression of our love. It's seeing God for who he is and what he's done. And it's changing the way we live because of it. Worship is all-encompassing. It's our whole life. And so I kind of wanted to ask this question, what are we holding back? Not out of guilt or shame, just out of reflection. God, what are the things in my life that I've maybe intentionally or just on accident kind of said, these are off limits to you. This, you can have this area of my life, but not this. Maybe the Holy Spirit brings something to mind, or I would just encourage us in this moment to say, God, you can have that too. You can have that too. It may cost me something. It may come at a personal sacrifice, but compared to what you're offering, relationship with you, it's nothing. I would gladly do that. In fact, worship comes from the idea and the word worth and ascribing that to God, giving it to him. It's saying, God, this is what you are worth to me. That's where we get our English word, worship. So in this idea and, and looking at what Paul says worship is, it's living as a sacrifice. Our whole life is God's. Everything is yours. It's that idea and saying, but it's worth the trade when I see what you offer me. So this first part of the message, I wanted to focus on worship. And we're going to talk about praise in a few minutes here. But I want to just give us the opportunity to respond. And like I said, worship is more than music, but it's one of the primary ways that we do express our gratitude and thankfulness to God, seeing him for who he is. So I want to pray and have us reflect. And in the moment, the team's going to come up and we're going to respond with a couple songs, just saying, God, to worship you, I live. It's the reason I'm here. In fact, I do want to read one more. I'll I'll read it later. That's fine. We'll do it in the next part, part two. Um, Let's just go before the Lord. God, thank you for who you are. God, more than anything, more than guilt, shame, condemnation, any of that that's not from you, God, we just want a greater revelation of who you are. Maybe that's our takeaway from this moment, Lord. Would you remind us how much value you have, how worthy of our worship you are, what you've done for us, that you, your kingdom is the pearl of great price. It is far more valuable than anything else in our life. God, would you speak to us? Is there something, are there a few things that we've said are off limits to you? And would we give those to you? Would we make a conscious decision in this moment, God, that would lead to fruitful change in our life, that we would present our lives as a living sacrifice and and not live like everything else and everyone else now, that we'd be transformed by the renewing of our mind and live differently in this moment. God, would you help us to be worshipers In Jesus' name, amen. I know many of us just want to stay in that moment even. I'm curious, did you feel something shift in your soul, like spiritually in that moment? Anybody? Amen. A few of you raised your hand or nodded your head, and it's okay if you didn't. 
I think that's the power of expressing our worship, expressing that love towards God. I mean, if worship is offering all of ourself to the Lord, praise is the expression of that in a specific way. I think sometimes we're like, how are praise and worship different? Worship is all-encompassing. It's everything we do, like we just talked about. Praise is the specific expressions of it. And that's what I want to talk about in this little section, because I think it's powerful. I think we desperately need it in the church and in our culture. We need, we need true worshipers, but we also need to praise together. In Isaiah 61, it's a famous passage, and Jesus quotes it when he's in the temple one time, and he says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of, he- of, despi- of despair. Another translation says a spirit of heaviness. And I think there's something powerful as Jesus is proclaiming those words. He's saying, hey, the Holy Spirit is on me, and I'm declaring to you that I've been given the ability to set you free. He's like, I'm offering joy instead of mourning. I'm offering a spirit and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. And I think that's what we felt in our soul in that moment as we expressed our worship. I think some of us just felt the beginning part of it where it's like, hey, I I felt a little relief from what I was carrying this week. It's been a heavy week. I mean, we talked about that. Abigail prayed at the beginning of service for, for what's happening in Ukraine, and we prayed in the Dream Team huddle. There's, there's a heaviness to it. And it's not that we ignore it. That's never the answer. In fact, we're called to pray. We're called to give. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But in the middle of it, we can still have joy. Abigail gave a whole message of the both and, of joy and suffering. And I think a lot of times when we can't find it on our own, Praise is what God offers us, putting on a garment. Worship is from the inside out. It's, it's viewing God for who he is, like we just said, and then loving him for it. Praise is something that we can do from the outside in. It's something we can put on. It's a garment. It's something that we can step into and choose to do. So I want to spend a few minutes talking about getting our praise on. That it's a conscious choice. It's something that we're choosing to do. Psalm 95 says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Do you hear how upbeat this is? He's like, let's sing, let's praise, let's shout aloud. For the Lord is, is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The first four verses of Psalm 95 are very upward, are very excited. It's shouting, it's singing, it's music. And then you see in this, this transition in verse 5, and especially in 6 and 7, the sea is his, for he made it, and his hands are formed by the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. That there's this natural progression sometimes where when we're not living out the worship we desire to, praise helps us get there. That when we praise, when we come in and are excited and rejoicing together, that it helps us get to a place of worship. When it starts from the outside in, then it suddenly turns from the inside out. That what we were singing and shouting about, now we're kneeling before him 
because we just remembered who he really is. I think that's powerful. I think praise is generally horizontal and worship is generally vertical. And they both do both, but worship is just that expression of love back to God. And it affects other people and we worship in in community, but praise is even more communal. It's something we do together. I mean, think about even just a couple weeks ago when we were watching the Super Bowl. You are louder the more people there are in the room. Like, if you're watching the game by yourself, you're not going crazy. It's just the reality. You might a little bit. You might be crazy. But if you're with more people who are into the game, it brings out even more. And I know some of you are like, I actually was being crazy by myself. Good for you. That's awesome. If you're at the game, you're more likely to even be caught up in it in an even greater way. If you're in the stadium, you're going to be louder and crazier. I think the same is true with praise. I think there's power in praising as a community. Lifting up the name of Jesus together. That there's something about, I might not be able to get myself to that space of getting there on my own, but when we're in it together, worshiping the Lord, it helps move me to that place. Lifting up his name, doing it together. I want to point out a few things about praise. That praise is outward. Hebrews 13, 15, through Jesus, therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice of praise. We talked about this in our dream team huddle, that we don't always think about praise as a sacrifice. We like to think about it as something we do when we feel it. That when it feels right, we're going to give God praise. But Hebrews says, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise. That it should be ongoing. That it should be something we're choosing to do. That we're offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. The fruit of our lips that openly profess his name. It's something that should be expressed. It's something that should be on the outside. In Luke 19, it says right at the crest where the Mount of Olives begins its descent, and this is a paraphrase, this isn't the translation we usually use, the whole crowd of disciples burst into enthusiastic praise over all the mighty works they had witnessed. It was spontaneous, and I love spontaneous moments of praise and worship, where they're like, look at what Jesus has just done, and they enthusiastically praise him. Look how the religious people respond in just a minute. Blessed is he who comes, the king in God's name, all's well in heaven, glory in the highest places. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd told him, teacher, get your disciples under control. Help them chill out a little bit. The ESV, the NIV, the Holman, they say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They are out of line. They're a little too excited. But look at what Jesus says. If they keep quiet, the stones would do it for them, shouting praise. That there is something about creation in general that is meant to lift up the name of Jesus. It's something that we do and express outwardly. It's something that we often get pushback about. It's something that God likes. I want to spend a little time, we've talked about this before, I try not to always be like in the Greek this and in the Hebrew that. I know that, that gets really old and annoying sometimes, but sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes it really adds something that we can't do otherwise, and the reason is Greek is about four times bigger of a language than English. So they have a lot more ways to talk about things than we do. In fact, love, which we talk about a lot, has four different words in Greek, and they all mean different aspects of love, but for each one of those we just say love. And Hebrew is similar. Hebrew is very pictorial. It it paints a picture for you. And worship and praise are over and over and over in both the New Testament 
And obviously throughout the book of Psalms, which is prayer and song to the Lord. But we only have those two words, worship, praise. The Bible has so many more that mean different nuances of each of those. And I want to look at just the praise ones for a little bit. Worship has its own big set, but there's about seven main root words for praise, and then there's a bunch of variations after that. And I wanted to just do a little teaching moment going through them, because I think when we think about praising the Lord, we're like, what does that actually mean? And I think this is helpful. The first one is Hillel. It's to rave or boast, to celebrate, and to even be clamorously foolish. Psalm 35, 18 says, I will thank you, Lord, in front of the great assembly, I will praise you before all the people. The word for praise in that psalm is this one. It's Hillel. It's where we get our word hallelujah, which literally is just taking Yahweh. That's the Yah part of the word. And Hillel, it means praise the Lord. That's why when people yell hallelujah, they're just praising the Lord. If you're like, I didn't know what they were saying, that's what they mean. Maybe they didn't even know what they're saying. They just learned it in church. But hallelujah means praise the Lord. And it's something about doing it outwardly. It's boasting, raving. It's just, it's saying like, praise God, like he is awesome. It's doing it in front of people, like we see in Psalm 35. Another word for praise is yada. Yada, not Yoda. That's Star Wars. Psalm 138, verse 1, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. We again use the same exact word praise, but in Hebrew it's a completely different word. And this one is more about acknowledging in public and raising your hands. And some of you are like, why do people do that? Why do they raise their hands? Well, this is one of the reasons. It's in Scripture that a way to praise God is raising your hand. Raising your hands universally is a sign of surrender, right? And if worship is offering all we have to God, it makes sense that we would be like, God, I'm, I'm surrendering to you. I'm, I'm praising you. What I have is yours. And it's acknowledging him in public. It's like a public acknowledgement of him. Think about it like this. It would just be honoring to God if we would be like, hey, I'm with him, he's with me, like we're together in public, right? It would be like this. If every time I left the house, if I just slipped off my wedding ring, that would be the opposite of yada, to be like for Abigail. That would be like the opposite of me praising her. It'd be like disassociating with her when I'm not around her. And I think we think, well, I worship God like I have my time alone with the Lord. But to praise him means you actually acknowledge that you're with him even in public. To raise your hands, to not be embarrassed. You're not too proud to acknowledge it. Another word is barak. It's to bless by kneeling or bowing. It's to get low before the Lord. Psalm 103 says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Or what we just read in Psalm 95, Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Master. It's this idea of of reverence. Praise can take many forms. It can be the shouting loud, but it can also be the quiet, seeing him for who he is. Zamar, making music to God with strings. It's the guitar solo. I mean, this is in the Bible. <laughs> Psalm 92.1, it is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High. It's just an expression of saying, God, I'm worshiping you how I know how, with music, with dancing, freely acknowledging you in public, lifting up your name, bowing down. Shabbat is to address in a loud tone or to shout. And this is what makes us uncomfortable. When we're around the loud people in worship, we're like, what are they doing? Would they, we're like the Pharisees, right? We're like, Jesus, would you get them under control? 
they're embarrassing me. But Psalm 63, verses 3 and 4, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. That word praise there is this one. It's a, it's a loud shout. It's I will loudly proclaim you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. That our praise takes many different forms. It's the victory shout. It's, it's celebrating the victory before you even experience the victory sometimes. Saying, hey God, I don't see it yet, but I, I'm trusting you. Paul has that, that famous passage where he talks about being pressed and crushed on every side. And if you grew up in church around the time I did, you know that song, Trading My Sorrows. You're like, I'm trading my sorrows. Like, you talk about being crushed and persecuted on every side, but you're like, um, but I say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. You guys know that one? And you're like, yes, Lord. Like, some of you are like, I think I got you. Whatever. You can look it up later. I'm not going to sing it. Um, it was my favorite song on drums, though. I played drums in youth group. Like, that was, I requested that one every single week. But it's just saying, God, I don't see things working out yet, but I'm going to praise you in the middle of it. I don't, I don't know how this is going to end. It's, it's singing, I'm going to sing of the goodness of God, even when I'm not sure I'm seeing it. I trust your goodness in the middle of my pain. Shouting it out in triumph. Toda. The next one, to lift hands in adoration. This is coming from the other word yada that we did earlier, but it's actually the corporate version. Yada is when you do it alone and you're acknowledging God. Remember we talked about that? Toda is when we do it together. It's when the worship leader says, hey, let's lift our hands together. And you're like, why are we doing that? We're not at a concert. No, it's a form of praise. It's saying, God, we are yours. We surrender to you. We worship you. Psalm 50, 23 he who offers praise glorifies me, and to him that orders his conversation all right will I show the salvation of God. God likes it. It glorifies him. It pleases him. It's, it's communal. It's corporate. It's one of those things that when we do it together, God is pleased. I mean, worship is our whole life. It's everything we do. It's the eating, drinking, sleeping, serving, giving, worshiping, and music. It's all of that. But praise is when we express them in a specific way. When we come together or we're alone, we say, God, you're worthy. I'm going to actually not just feel it. I'm going to show it. I'm going to express it. And the last one is tehillah. It's exuberant singing. I will extol, I will extol the Lord at all times, his praise will always be on my lips. Tequila, you can remember that one because it kind of sounds like tequila. And it kind of has the same effect where you're like singing loudly and I don't know from experience. I'm just sharing based on what I've heard. <laughs> Psalm 34, that word praise there is exuberant singing. It has actually a form of the word we started with, Hallel, in it. And it involves music and singing. It's, there's over 300 times that it is not just said to do it, it is mandated. It is a command to praise God in this way. It shows up 56 times in the Old Testament. It suggests that God himself is a song of praise. That we might say, God is our song. That we're lifting up his name corporately and singing it loudly. So, Hillel is acting foolishly for God. Tehillah is when we add music to it and do it together. I think of this moment where David is so struck by God in acknowledging who he is that he strips down to what he should not be wearing 
It's just his ephod, and his wife is embarrassed, and he's just worshiping God publicly. He's singing and dancing. People think he's crazy. People think all of this stuff, and she's embarrassed, and he's like, but I'm not going to stop praising God. Basically, it would be a version of that as, you know, I'm not fully clothed. I'm wearing, like, my underwear out in the parking lot, just being crazy for the Lord, and I'm not encouraging that. (laughs) I do think, though, there is a part of us that we are meant to express our praise to God beyond what's comfortable beyond what's normally acceptable, that we do things that, that sometimes push the boundaries. And it's not that we're just trying to show off or be ultra-religious. Or I think sometimes we associate certain types of praise with certain theologies. But the reality is, is throughout the Old Testament, we're called to praise. And it looks like all of these different things in different moments. Worship is everything. Praise is the expression of it. It's saying, God, you are worthy. And sometimes that means bowing down. Sometimes it means singing loud. Sometimes it means raising my hand. Sometimes it's alone. Sometimes it's together. It's expressing it. I think one of the beauty thing, beautiful things about praise is that it really does change the atmosphere. It really does help us experience the joy of the Lord. I mean, what we do is so spiritual in so many different ways. And Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not just something we conjure up on our own. And the, one of the ways that God often gives it to us is when we turn to Him in praise. If you read the Psalms, how often they start low and end high is because the psalmist at some point started praising the Lord. He gives us a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. So our big picture for the morning is let's be worshipers. Let's hold nothing back from God. But in this last part of service, we just want to express that through praise. It's going to be louder than the first song. It's going to be more upbeat than the first songs. And I encourage you to engage. Maybe take your next step, whatever that feels like. I had a friend who was part of the church we were at um, previously, and he had come from a much more reserved background in church. You know, it was like you stood like this for worship. Maybe you didn't even sing along. Maybe you did if you were like extra into it. And he's like, but he came to our church and that church was like louder and people are raising their hands and moving around. And he was like, what is this? It's kind of outside my comfort zone. And he started asking questions and we're explaining some of these things to him and talking about how this is just us being passionate about God, just like we'd be passionate about anything else. Just like we cheer on everything else. Doesn't God deserve it even more? And he stepped into it just a little bit at a time. Now he's one of the most passionate worshipers that I know. He's just like into it, like regularly in the front row, praising God loudly. And he's like, praise has changed my life. And that's his words, not mine. I'm not promising you it's going to change your life. I'm just telling you, it does something powerful. When we choose to express it, whether we feel like it or not, it's a sacrifice of praise. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear about what God is doing in your life. To share your story or a prayer request, simply hit contact on our website. You can also support the ministry of Hope Culture Church by visiting hopeculturechurch.com give. We hope you have a great week.